McNulty stunning for anyone to get up off Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, for Bobby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle. For McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bobby. Smashes it past McCormack. Won by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bobby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe, nonchalant, fantastic, brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to the PO Forecast episode 43. Well, it was a disappointing result away at Blackpool, followed by a obviously really important result against Crawley. Uh, joining me today on the podcast, returning guest, Freddie Webb. Freddie, how are you? How's it going here? You all right? I'm all right, mate. I've got a little bit of a cold, so I'm going to try and not cough or sneeze into the microphone, but apologies to anyone if I do. Yeah, try your best. Try not to do that. <laughs> I will, especially since you're wearing headphones. I don't want to surprise you or anything. Yeah, my, like that. my eardrums will just fall out if you do that. So. Yep. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so going into the podcast, obviously there's no game to preview at the end of the podcast. So what we're going to do at the start is we are going to review the Blackpool game. Which I was at. Precisely, yeah. Freddie. So that's going to be really useful since you've got that northern geography going on. Yep. <laughs> Followed by that, we're going to go in and review the mighty clash against Crawley. Yep, and then after that, we're going to go on and take your questions, which we've already done. And thank you for everyone for messaging in. It's been really appreciated. We've had a huge response once again, so appreciate that. And we're going to be doing the talking about, well, all the Pittman saga, Gareth Evans, and the chat about... Before we go into the content today, guys, um, we've got a competition. So, basically, thanks to our friends at Caribou, they're giving away two tickets for the Pompey-Southampton game at Fratton Park. Absolute gold dust of tickets. And here at Pompey News Now, we're giving you guys the chance to win a pair of tickets to go to the game. Uh, we'll be tweeting it out on uh, at Pompey News Now uh, and at PO Forecast. And if you basically, all you need to do to win these two tickets is retweet the tweet, follow at PO Forecast, follow at Pompey News Now, and follow at Caribou underscore Cup. Uh, there'll be terms and conditions apply. Uh, they'll be sent on the link on the tweet. So have a look at those as well. And if you're happy, well, we'd love it if you guys enter. There you go. Done my spew. Freddie. <laughs> Let's move on. Right. First game, Blackpool. You were at the game. What was the atmosphere like in the stands? Because it has been a bit, well, negative, isn't it? No, the, the atmosphere at the Blackpool game for most of it was pretty much business as usual it, it was an excellent atmosphere the Blackpool fans were really loud as well because of all the oyster, all the oyster and stuff last season they had a, pretty much a full house there was about 12,000 odd there okay so, cool. so, the, so the atmosphere at the game was electric until the later substitutions which we'll go into in a bit more detail then it kind of dipped off a bit but overall most people thought the point was okay but not a spectacular result it was a game of two halves, wasn't it? I think we started really brightly in the first half and, and then maybe faded in the second half. Would that, is that a fair assessment for someone who's at the game? Oh, precisely. The first half, that was probably the best I'd seen Ports of all season in those first guy, five games. We controlled possession really well. The front three were excellent, especially Marcus Harness, who was probably the man of the match for the entire game. Linked up with Marcus and Curtis really well. Probably could we could have gone into halftime maybe more than 1-0 up. But the okay. second half, after the first, what, 10 minutes or so, Blackpool got more comfortable on the ball. Ports have tried to press and close down a bit, but we just weren't winning the second ball. That was the, that was the main issue, really, from that game. And the passing, the, the, the long passing was off as well. So really, a one-all draw was a fair result. Before the game, if you would ask me, I would take a draw away, a, a, a very, very solid side. But considering the expectations that might not be good enough already well i think it's one of those things isn't it when you've when you're failing to pick up points fans you know start getting on the back of we need a win no matter who it's against and 
I think that's maybe why some fans feel that, you know, three points are essential, even though we're playing a really good team. Especially if Portsmouth are in the position to win that game as well. From the from the first half, we probably should have won the game, in all honesty, if the performance didn't dip in the second half with all the drama of the substitution as well. So, really, it is two points dropped, but the, but the, the draw away from home isn't the end of the world, and I think it will stack up well at the end of the season. Yeah, no, at the end of the day, it is a good point away at Blackpool, who I think will be up there challenging for the playoffs, possibly. Um just go through some of these chances earlier on. Um, I thought it was quite impressive. And Andy Cannon had an early chance breaking th- uh, through on goal for a few players and just about shot wide. Um, how did you rate Andy Cannon? Because I thought he made a big impact when he came on against QPR. He had a good he had a good game this game. He played further forward. So Jacket played essentially 4-2-3-1 with, Mar- with Marcus up front on his own with Cannon, Curtis and Harness behind him. Cannon played really well. He was the main playmaker in the middle, which helped the front three all link together and, and then Marcus Harness just ran the show from there. Afterwards. And um, how did um, Ben Close's, you know, what do you think of Ben Close's performance in, in comparison to Cannon? Cannon played a bit better, but that was mainly because in possession, Portsmouth were playing further up the pitch. So mainly Close was essentially the out ball for Cannon. So essentially if, if Cannon got the ball and couldn't pass the front three, Ben Close was behind him. And then I've bet Ben Close have a pass back to the back four or a long ball forward. So so it worked well. Ben Close didn't have a bad game by any means. But I thought Cannon had more of the ball in this in the first half. Second half he faded a lot, but every most most of the players did. So let's talk about the goal that happened. Um we're talking about the high press, haven't we, a lot between ourselves and how Portsmouth um apply quite a lot of pressure further up the field as as a unit. And that sort of came through for us, didn't it? When Marquez closed down, Curtis tilted and robbed the ball off and went through on goal. Yeah, precise, uh, precisely. That's what that's what the Portsmouth front three were trying to do f- for a lot of the first half. Try, uh, try and pressurise the back row defenders and try and force an error, which is what Marquez did. Possibly could have even had a penalty if it, if the ball didn't fall for Harness. But he t- Harness took it from very well. I didn't see it fully because we were r- right at the side of the stadium. But I, I thought Harness did very well with that shot. I mean, looking at it from watching the broadcast later on, it looked like Harness just hit it one time straight across the keeper with a bit of power um, on a sort of chip, sort of curling shot, which went into the the keeper's right. Pretty much. Yeah, it was a, it was a great finish again. And Marcus Harness has been a real standout player, hasn't he, for us? And in some ways, I think it's it's pretty beneficial to the team that we're not playing South End this weekend without him. Oh, precisely. Uh, well, considering all the players, I think we with all the international corps and the injuries, we have six or seven players who are out. I think, and Marcus Harness is probably one one of the most important ones. He he linked Curtis and Marcus together really well, put in the low crosses for Marcus to run onto initially. So he is at the moment the uh, the most prolific signing we've had so far. What did you think of Marcus and um, Ronan Curtis's? link-up play and were they making the right runs forwards was it maybe a lack of killer instinct in front of goal or was it just a supply issue that we didn't the get run, more goals the, the progressive runs were there they were getting into the right position but it was just an example of the final ball not being there for example curtis a lot of the time if he if he collected the ball on the left wing, left wing marcus harness was uh, marcus harness john marcus was screaming for the through ball forward along the floor right in line with the last defender and Curtis just didn't do it. He, he either t- took it onto a stronger foot and had a shot, or crossed all the way to the back post. So, is so really we have you have to have more games. They'd have to have more games together so they can click. And I think once they do, they'll be fine. That's that's sort of one of the questions we've asked later on in the podcast. Of you know, do we feel that it's just a matter of time before things come together for this team, or you know, is it? Is it an issue that's going to stick with us for the rest of the season? But moving, moving on to the second half, do you, how do you feel? You know, Marcus Harness obviously off injured, Gareth Evans on for him. Were you happy with that change at the end of the first half? Well, it had to be made pretty much. I don't, I, I don't, there, there weren't many things you would have done or, or any subs you would have made at that point. So Gareth Evans coming off Harness was fine, but it, it just didn't work out in the, until about the 60th, 5th minute when he was substituted. There was, little link-up play between the front three anymore. It, it kind of died off, mainly due to the lack of possession. 
but again, we just struggled to gain the ball. And then when we did get the ball, the team were rushing a lot. They were trying to find that killer long ball, which just didn't work. Do you feel that Nanduile's goal in the second half that you know came from across from the right hand side, which again Pompey didn't defend that well, gave him a load of time on the ball? Do you feel that that changed the mentality of the team going forward? Did they try and shut down things? And were they were they sort of nervous that it was going to happen again and therefore giving away possession with a sort of that killer ball that you're talking about rather than passing it between each other and being more patient? I think that's exactly what happened. The, play, the players seemed nervous on the ball. They didn't have that comfortable, that comfortable swagger that they did in the first half. So even before the Blackpool goal, goal in, they were frustrated that they weren't winning the second ball and Blackpool were dictating the play a bit more. They were a very direct side. And after that cross came in, Nanduye took it very well. It, it was not a horrendous goal, goal to concede by any means. But again, even, even for some time after that, the, it, the players seemed either to rush things a lot or... Blackpool just continued to go, uh, to control the game from there. It took a little while for the Portsmouth players to get back into it again. And do you think there's any fault that can be put on the on the defence? I know Downing was marking him. He's thinking Andrade's got three inches on Downing, um, no pun intended, but in height. Uh, mm. So it's a very difficult player to mark, isn't it? And he seems like a very powerful striker as well. He is. He is probably the archetypal League One striker. Especially for that team, that they're a very, they're a very direct in-your-face team, and that's not a bad thing by any means. It's effective, and I don't think that was bad defending for that goal. Really, uh, though, I think before before the counter-attack again, there was a there was a bit of ping-pong in the middle of the midfield. But as soon as the counter-attack set up, and as soon as, soon as it got to the right wing, I knew I knew if it was a decent cross, Nandria would be there to score. I don't think it was a compared to the other goals Portsmouth conceded. I wouldn't complain about that one very much. So it seemed in the second half, it was a bit of a bombardment, wasn't it, on Pompey? He, he struggled to get a foot in the game. Um, would you say that Blackpool should have maybe got a second goal? Potentially, yes, considering how bad Portsmouth were. McGillivray managed to make a good save. There are a lot of instances where there are a lot of corners at once. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't have been su- surprised if Blackpool, conceded, if Blackpool scored again. If they did and they were 2-1 up, I... I they would have found it in and probably won the game. In all honesty, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little bit dubious about how we're defending corners, which seems odd because it's the same zonal marking system that we used last season. Just different players, but it's That's just all. different players, isn't it? And do you mm. think that they're still working out how to mark players in the zonal system? Do we need to change that? Uh, potentially, yeah. I, d- I didn't think any of the defending from the set pieces was bad necessarily. Uh, m- most of the time, most most players were marked. But it's the sort of thing where, where they're a very tall, strong side. They just won the second ball a lot, and that's and that's what happened. That's how they, why they caused problems from set pieces in that game. I mean, Pompey did have one chance that really stood out for me. Um, Marquez had a shot after a cannon shot was blocked in the box. Yeah, the I remember keep, that and one. The, and the keeper made a save down to his right-hand side, which looked like a good save. You know, Marco's got the ball on target and that's what you want from your strikers, isn't it? Just to get that shot on target. But maybe Feely could have done a bit better there. He didn't have a lot of time on the ball. He he had to take the shot first time because the defender was near him. From where I from where I could see, he was fairly central. So he, he could have put it potentially close to the corner. But I, I, I wouldn't blame him for not scoring that, honestly. No, I think that's fair enough as well. And, you know, he's getting goals. And I think if we give him the you know the right service, then he, he's going to score more. Oh, precisely. It, it's just, Portsmouth seems to be still is still um, focusing on crossing a lot to the back post, which if, if Ollie Hawkins was playing, maybe that would work a bit better. But again, at the moment, when the, when the front three click together like they did in the first half, when they were passing around along the floor, you, using the out ball, the attacking midfielder or Ben Close or whoever it is, then I think the right service will get to John Marcus eventually. But then again, it has to happen. It has to happen soon, considering the expectations this season. Yeah, you know we've we've got to pick up points, haven't we? And is it? Are we nine points behind now? Yeah, yes, nine, nine points behind Ipswich, which are at the top of the table. We currently sit in seventeenth for five points. 
which obviously isn't great. Well, it's worse than it isn't great. It's an awful start for Paul and Pompey for the start of the season. But nine points are still catch up, I'd say, myself. Oh, so precisely. We might... Well, Paul did it last time when we looked dead and buried. We went on that huge winning streak near the end before the playoffs, which could have even got us into into the automatics. So it is doable. It's just frustrating that in a lot of the games this season, Portsmouth threw it away. I think that's what's frustrating fans the most, isn't it, really, as well? That, you know, there's three games that really stick out to me, the Sunderland game, the Coventry game, and the Blackpool game, you know, where we should have arguably, you know, got yeah, but nine points. Where Portsmouth were in strong positions. I was at the Sunderland game as well. The first half an hour, very similar to the first half of the Blackpool game. Sunderland didn't offer a lot at all. Then it was two mistakes leading to goals, and we were just punished by that. Just a quick question, actually. We highlighted on the podcast Nandwile and uh, Kai Kai as well um, to be a big threat down the left-hand side, I think he was playing, wasn't it, on the, on the attacking three? Yes. Yeah. And um, how did Kai Kai play in the game? Was he dangerous, this sort of quick, direct running? Pretty much. I, 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 with weird, it was weird with Blackpool. I wouldn't say any real player stood out to me, personally. There wasn't one player in the Blackpool team who I'd think, oh, I'd love him to be in this pause of starting eleven. But as a team in the second half, they just played a lot better. They were very, they were very direct in your face, got stuck in. They passed very well because in the first half, they they seemed almost frightened of the ball initially. I think it's one of those things in which we just have to rebound from, don't we? And people might argue that maybe without Marcus Harness, the team didn't have a, a certain flow to it. Do you think that if Marcus Harness was playing that maybe it would have been a different game. It would have certainly helped. <laughs> it wouldn't have certainly helped because because the, the difference in performance at the, at the end of the first half and the start of the second half was startling. He, I knew that when Marcus Harris came off, there was like that rough little three minutes before halftime where you think, oh, we'll just get it to halftime. It doesn't matter how they play, sort of. But still, the difference was starkly. that it, 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 The passing became more one-dimensional when we had the ball. I think the key thing, again, the key thing for me, we, did, we didn't have the ball enough in the, at the beginning of that second half. And I suppose one of the biggest talking points from the game, wasn't it, was the substitution of Gareth Evans. It, yep. seemed, a, it seemed a strange one to put on, you know, your vice captain and then sub him off. You know, I think it was 20-odd minutes later, wasn't it? Um, oh, precise, precisely. With that substitution, I thought Kenny Jacket was doing something a bit weird there where he's going to play two up top and then put... Curtis just behind him and play a narrow 4-3-3 and I'm thinking oh, it's a bit weird to substitute Gareth Evans but Gareth Evans didn't play very well it, it, when he came on he didn't impact on the game at all at all when he came on but I still want to substitute him for Ellis Harrison to play on the right wing it, it was the traditional 4-3-3 where Curtis and Harrison were basically wingers instead of narrow strikers next to Marquis so that was the problem for me. Harrison looked lost at right wing. He, he's played on the wing before at Bristol Rovers when he was a lot younger, but on the left wing as well. So he was out of position and and on his wrong side. So no mm. wonder that Harrison didn't really have an impact on the game. It was a, a small part of me that understands the logic behind that substitution, but it was just implemented very poorly, in my opinion. And considering all the back, the potential backlash from it, it was needless, in my opinion. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you don't want to upset your senior players, do you, in the squad? He was furious on the bench. Absolutely furious. Have you, see, have you seen the video of him? Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Oh. Understandably so, because, uh, I mean, you'd argue that he only had 25 minutes to bed in. I wouldn't have substituted him. I would have probably, if you wanted... The extra presence, physical presence up front, you could have substituted Curtis instead. Then Harrison would have been on his right side as well. But again, it's another substitution that I don't understand from Kenny Jacket, to be honest with you. And that's rolling on from the Coventry game, isn't it? Where fans were so upset about oh, don't remind the me substitution. About that. <laughs> <laughs> don't remind yeah. me about that. Yeah, but it's just one thing after the other. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that when we put the question out after the Crawley game to you guys and what you thought of... Yeah, what's going on? So, talking about the Crawley game, let's let's roll into it. It's not, wasn't the most anticipated game, was it for Pompey fans? Should we say? I think 
you know, we won the Checker Trade Trophy last season. Fans were at first against the competition, weren't they? And then I think people are just over it now, especially after winning it last season. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Oh, pretty much. I, I, I have got no interest in that competition whatsoever. Well, border on apathy, bordering on it being damaging for the football league in general because of the Premier League B teams that are in that competition, which is why. I, d- I was so alienated by the competition, I didn't even go to Wembley when Portsmouth were against Sunderland. It was helpful that that fixture was on the Tuesday, so Jackets could try out some things, but I didn't watch the game. I didn't see any of the highlights, so I'm not going to be much help much help on that regard. That's all right, Freddie. I'll talk us through it. So Pompey played. What I'd see is made some changes, you know, Alex Bass coming in. Did they but... play 4 4 2 in that game? Mm, no. No, they played 4 3 1, I believe. Um, I had that in front of me, mate, but I seem to have lost it. So let's have a look. But yeah, Alex Bass came in in goal. And I think, did they play 4-3-3 actually? They played 4-3-3 because they played they played Maloney out wide effectively as one of the wingers and Harrison on the other side. So with Marquis up front, you know, trying to get him firing as such. It wasn't the best game, but I don't think it was as poor as some people made out, if you didn't take into consideration the fact that Crawley made 10 changes to their team for this game as well. So this wasn't the, the Crawley that, you know, knocked Norwich out of the cup or, you know, have done well well so far in League Two. This was their reserve team as such. And I think that's maybe why fans might be a bit upset by only a one now result. However, looking at the game, there was quite a few chances in which arguably Pompey could have won the game 4-0. But really? they've done that because apparently the keeper did really well in that game. Their keeper did well. I mean, going through some chances, um, Marcus played this lovely little ball through in the centre to Gareth Evans. Evans, you know, on the left hand side of the goalkeeper, he just takes too many touches. Mm-hmm. It's it's that killer ball that we're talking about. You know, with the three That's, players that linking up, prob- that was the problem in pretty much every previous game I've seen. Ports of it's that final ball. But the final ball was actually yeah. good here. The final oh, was ball it? was, it was just a little through ball between the two defenders. Gareth Evans threw on goal, but he just takes one, two, three touches and mm. the, the defender manages to recover and slide in and block the shot. So, you know, that obviously could have gone in. Um, Maloney had a good chance at the back post after a decent ball from Gareth Evans, whipped across, he puts it on goal and the keeper makes, you know, a pretty remarkable save. Um, it was nice. It was nice to see another academy product get a start as well. The academy seems to be doing really well with bedding in youngsters, and competitions like that are the perfect opportunity for them to get some games. Yeah, definitely. I saw Leon Maloney. That's his first ninety minutes for the club as well, which is you know impressive, especially Excellent. in that, that wing where spot that should we say we've got a lot of competition for, haven't we? Mm, yeah, because well, I would really like to see Ryan Williams. When he's fit, give it just given the chance. Curtis hasn't played badly. He hasn't played badly, but he hasn't played great either. He sort he sort of hovered in the middle around the end of the season last season. So I, I wouldn't blame Kenny Jacket for trying Ryan Williams at left wing and just see what he has in him. Is Williams actually fit? I've sort of lost track on that one a little bit. I've lost track of it as well. I've lost track with James Bolton, but Bolton was fit because he, he played. Did he play the entire ninety minutes against Crawley? Because I know he started. Right back. He played the majority of it. I didn't watch the whole game, so I'm not that sure. But yeah, he played it right back. He had a little shot where he, he dummied one of their players and came onto his left foot outside the box and tried to whip one across the goal, curb oh, it right. inside of his foot. Mm-hmm. It went wide, but it was a decent chance. I've just I've just checked on the evening news and he said that Ryan Williams was going to play in a reserve game with Ollie Hawkins because apparently both of them weren't fit either. So, uh, but that reserve game was cancelled. So, so at least he's training and getting up to speed for some games, according yeah. to Evening News, anyway. Well, I'm sure it's very spot on. Mm. Yeah. Um, again, Harrison had a couple of chances, crosses, corners. He's you know headed it on goal, done what you need to do, and the keepers well, made some good saves as well. You know, if you think Harrison looked lively in this game, I'd say, but. Again, it's against a lot weaker opposition, isn't it? You know, Crawley made 10 changes, so you yeah. can't really judge the quality in League One on that basis. Yeah. Well, people have argued, basically arguing the entire time that all of these cup games haven't been a fair reflection because of the changes to all the teams. I watched the Birmingham game on TV. They had Dan Crowley in the midfield, but uh, but they played their kids for the rest of the game. QPR rotated as well. 
I think it's a bit harsh. I think early in the season, you take any any form of 90 minutes to see how your players do, regardless of the opposition. There are signs where you can pick out patterns of play and pick out what the, what the team needs to improve on. So it's not it's not completely useless. No game is, at this point, is useless anyway. Yeah, and it's not useless at all. And you thought I thought Marquis had scored when he headed it back across the goal, beat the keeper, and then again that was cleared off the line. So it was it was unlucky in that sense not to score a few more goals. But again, is it unlucky or is it just a lack of clinical finishing from Pompey and just maybe a lack of confidence? Probably a bit of both. Like yeah. everything, it's always a bit of both. That's right, Freddie. Not absolute. We need to we need to remember that. So Pittman comes on. He gets a goal. You know, from a corner. Have you seen the goal? Uh, I, ha- I I noticed from the corner. I think I might have saw out the corner of my eye, but I don't know details of it. Okay, so it comes in. Typical sort of Pittman finish, you know. Manages to get a, a shot from a weird angle that goes straight into the goal. It's a great finish. And again, it just reminds Kenny Jacket, or does it, um, that what he can do. Wild after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this transition there, mate. That is a segue because I'm going to read out again... Uh, it was an interview, wasn't it? I think it was with Johnny Moore or Andrew Moon. I can't remember who it was. It's exactly on the touchline. But um, Andrew Moon tweeted it out saying, I'm not sure the gaffer needs me to come on in the EFL trophy to know what I can do. I think it speaks for itself. <laughs> you, could uh, you... that's, that's not that's not forward at all, is it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, understandably, he's frustrated at not getting games, isn't he? Any, anyone would be, especially a, a senior pro like him. I mean, do you see that as a dig to Kenny Jacket or just a, a confidence saying, use me? It probably, it, considering all the stuff with Gareth Evans, well, it probably, it probably is a dig. There was a tone there that says, look, I'm not, I'm not being picked at the moment. In his mind, players ahead of me aren't, aren't performing as well as I could be. And he's frustrated he's not being picked. I, in the next game, I would probably even though it might be a bit harsh on Cannon I would play Pittman at number 10 behind Marquis I think that could potentially be a very prolific combination so we'll see on that one but I I think it's understandable that Pittman is frustrated at not being selected no it's definitely understandable isn't it considering the situation but I think personally he only really fits in as a number 10 in that 4-2-3-1 formation oh he does I wouldn't wouldn't play him at number 9 but Pittman said number 10 was his preferred position even though he had that stint before Christmas where at number 10 he didn't play very well and Gareth Evans played there instead so there uh, there was a lot of fuzzy memory about how Pittman can play but the, uh, the second half of last season he played really well so I, I would give him a chance He's got, he, he, he does have the ability to spray the ball out wide and potentially put in a through ball to Marco so I, th- I think he can play well there yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? It really depends on... I suppose you could look at it like Kenny Jackett's decided to go with this 4-3-3 to allow him to play McCrory, Cannon, Close, Naylor in, in defence. Um, in in reality, together. I, I, honestly, I do think you have to play Naylor, Close and McCrory. That should be... Well, considering how badly Portsmouth were playing with the 50-50 balls... If you want to go slightly more defensive, that's the midfield three that I would play, playing in a four-three-three. You'd have Naylor sitting back a bit more, and then, uh, and then McCrory as the more dynamic def- defensive or ball-winning midfielder, and then Close gets free roam to do whatever he likes in that four-three-three. If you want to go more attacking, then you could sub one of them off and then play Pittman f- at the number ten with Marquis, or you, or really desperate, you could play two up front, which. Loads of people have been clamouring to play two up front, but I think if that happens, Portsmouth will just get overrun in midfield easily, considering how bad we are at regaining the ball. So, I mean, I put this question out to uh, you guys at home. Cheers again for everyone's feedback, and there's quite a lot for us to digest and go through here, Freddie. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it. So I put a little tweet out saying, what's going wrong with the defence? Is Kenny Jacket the man to fix it? So... Surprisingly, I thought we might get quite a lot of negative response on Twitter due to there's been there's quite a large section of people who you know are really on the jacket out train, aren't they? But it's quite a mixed actual selection. So let's read one of them out. Sam Stone, 
obviously friend of the show, Pompey News now says, we are close to clicking, been good periods in every game. Five games is no time to judge a team with new additions. I'd much rather have a run of poor form right now than later in the season. Luton started slowly last season and then look what happened. More positivity needed. That's a good point from Sam, isn't it, about Luton who, you know, stormed up the league, didn't they, in the second half of the season? He's hit the nail on the head because remember the first game last season when Portsmouth played Luton? Luton controlled that game and lost 1-0. Kind of similar to how how Portsmouth controlled the game against Shrewsbury and lost 1-0 in a similar vein. Yes, five games isn't enough time to judge players, to judge the team. I tried to in the article I wrote to try and figure out what the team is doing badly and why it's not clicking. But again, we do need more games. But the problem is the expectation is automatic promotion and anything less is a failure that's harsh on the manager but that is the expectation and it, and if we do get off to a bad start it people are looking at the other results from 20, from 2019 how we how it ended on such a miserable note in the playoffs and in their mind it's continuing into this season as well and i think that's a fair assessment isn't it when you look at the results we haven't beaten any teams in the top six in 2019, I believe. No, he didn't. So I think the the highest team we beat, I think we beat Burton and Coventry, who were around eight, eight for ninth, I think, from what I remember. I can't, I can't remember fully the team last season, and we could have easily, we could have easily lost lost those games as well. I was at the Burton game, and Portsmouth didn't play very well, but again, they grinded up the result. Well, we sort of handballed the result in, didn't we? Nathan Thompson sort of beach volley oh, yes, across of the box, didn't he? So <laughs> I, I, I was I was too busy running up and down the terrace to notice that. To be honest with you, yeah. So you could you could arguably say that that one didn't really count as a, a tactical success or such but on the manager. Um, just moving on, Greg says. Obviously, Greg out walks his way. Says. So five points doesn't make the great reading in five games, nor does the end of last season. So going on the point, Freddie, from what we've been talking about here, but I don't take that into account as we have changed the team a fair bit. Pretty branch of brand new defence. It's worth noting that if we win a few, we can bounce the average right up. It's early days yet. And to be honest, I'd rather get bad patch out of the way than tail towards the end of the season, um, tail towards the end like last season. Plenty of time to set this right, but obviously with fixtures dragging out, it can't be rectified as quickly as we'd like. Do you think that Greg's, again, sort of on the similar vein to what Sam said, isn't he? That we can get this sticky stage out of the way now and then possibly at the end of last season be a bit fresher and push. Do you think there's any logic behind that idea? Or do you think it's more of a situation that is belief that we've got the talent in the squad and we will put it together at some point? Uh, again, I'm going to give a very frustrating answer. It's a bit of both because, well, w- with the fixtures being separated as they are, Portsmouth aren't getting w- w- uh, to start with. Won't get enough get enough games into gel as quickly, and then maybe in the middle of the season you'll you'll be Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, which will fatigue the players an awful lot. Yeah, the defence looked patchy in those previous games, but but Jacket hasn't had his entire selection, James Bolton's been injured. Lee Brown has been injured now. Sean Raggett, I think he was injured during preseason or he hasn't, he hasn't had, he hasn't got his fitness up. So to be fair to him, he hasn't, he hasn't had a game where he's had the entirety of his options available. That's probably why in his mind, he hasn't picked out his best 11. Uh, in theory, I can pick out two 11s that Portsmouth could go for. But when you see the players every day, and and in his mind, he has endless possibilities due to the players he's brought in. I think that's why he's saying he doesn't know what his best team yet is. Yeah, which is what actually something I touched on when I was on Express FM last week. Um, that you can't really say, you know, that Kenny Jacket basically doesn't really know his best starting eleven. And I think that's fair, isn't it? I think we can all say that he hasn't quite worked it out. And I think some fans feel that. You know, the manager should have maybe worked this out during pre-season. And, you know, we're five games in now, not including cup games. We he's should rota- know where we are. Exactly. He's rota- He's already rotated the midfield. He's rotated his centre-back partnership a lot already. There is the air of tinkering. And, and when you're tinkering too much, that's detrimental to the players because they, they, they won't know the system inside out and other things like that. 
So that it, it is a contributing factor to why ports have haven't started as well as they could have done. No, I think I think again, there's a lot of factors, isn't there, that that show why we can't, but why we haven't started as well as most fans would have thought we had. Obviously, you went through it, Freddie. In the what I've got to say, it's an incredible article you wrote for the site. Um, guys, get on it, PompeyNewsNow.wordpress.com, and have a look at Freddie's article here. You know, should we start to worry? And you've really broke it down in a way that might take some of the extra emotion that fans are just pushing out there for an emotional response to what's going on and you know use some good data to write something that's really analytical and gets down to the real reasons possibly why things aren't working for Kenny Jacket. That's precisely what I tried to do. I tried to take what I was seeing from the games that I've watched and what the reactions are from the fans and then try and break down how ports of a playing. What how can port how can Ports of make make better use of their chances, or what, or essentially why we're losing, or or why we're throwing away opportunities, and you you can give it a read. I hope it reads really well, and that, that figuring out all the stats and so on is easy enough. I hope I've explained all those definitions properly. But again, I think I think the real nutshell of it all is, I understand why fans are worried, and I understand why some fans may think at the moment Kenny Jacket is not the right solution, but it's pretty obvious that Kenny Jack is going to have the rest of the season. Whether you think his style of football, whether you don't like his style of football or anything is irrelevant. He will have the rest of the season, rightly or wrongly, to try and get this team promoted. And I think the argument shouldn't be, oh, sh- should we sack Kenny Jack? Sh- who-, who should we get instead? The argument should be, right, What what how, what is the team doing badly? What is Kenny Jacket doing that could be detrimental to the team? And how the team should play going forward and essentially solve all the on-field problems that have happened so far. Yeah, and guys, go and have a look at it. I will put it as my pinned tweet on my profile as well as Freddie's. It'll, um, be, it'll be on my Twitter. It'll be, I'll, I'll try and get it out all over the place so people can read it. Yeah, we'll start firing it out, mate. Um, do you wanna, is there anything in particular you want to highlight from the article just before we go on to... Uh, I can. Comment? Well, I split it into three sections. First of all, with the defence, I'm going to try and find the bits in a nutshell where it basically says what we're doing wrong. So essentially, with the defending, when we have the ball in possession, ports are really good. So essentially, we we don't lose possession that often, even though when you look at the game, ports are flinging a lot of direct balls there's a lot of ping-ponging in the midfield actually ports are the second best team at retaining possession or ball losses in this case what ports are the worst at is something called defensive duels and that is essentially 1v1 defensive situations the classic example being two players going for a header from a goal kick or something on those lines we are the worst team in that league let me find that chart yeah so so in the one of the top teams for making the most of these defensive duels but with a second worst of being successful at them so essentially when we lose the ball we can't get the ball back again which is one of the most frustrating things about this sports of team where we can't seem to win the second ball i think that it's one of those things freddie that You've you've really broken down those reasons well. So guys, please go check it out because Freddie's explained it in a way that I can't really explain on the podcast because you've used different charts to really show that visually as well as video footage. You know, just explain exactly you know, examples of what you've got. So yeah, guys, again, really check it out because the defensive jewels, for instance, you, we can see that, can't we? And pump any fan who's been in the stand can see. You know what's happening. See what it is. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, initially, it seems alien when you when you try and put it into a stat or anything it's like oh defensive duel what is that so that's what i tried to do by putting the graphs on there and all the video clips and so on and hopefully i've put in some solutions where fans can read it and say yeah those are exactly what or what those are exactly what the bad things were about the sports with team and the solutions can potentially give a reason give insight to why um how ports can improve and then put your suggestions in the comments as well of the article as well. So we can have a, a constructive debate about how, uh, what Portsmouth need to do to achieve promotion. Because that's what we all want, isn't it? 
we want yeah. Portsmouth to achieve promotion and have us have, have that season in the championship where historically the team should be, rather than just saying, "Okay, Jack, it's fucking dreadful, and we should throw him in a ditch." Yeah, because it looks like the ownership, you know, are, are probably rightly or wrongly going to back him to the rest of the season, and, and you know, at Christmas at least, I'd say. I wouldn't even say Christmas. I think the only way that he would get sacked by Christmas if it was an utter catastrophe. We're talking relegation zone. We're talking in relegation zone and player protests and that sort of thing. Yeah. He would at least get given the end of the season. At the end of the season, considering who the man, if if any managers are available of interest, then you can reevaluate it then. But we're nowhere near that yet. No. We're not getting near that, and it's not. And it's not helpful to. <sighs> Actually, that's wrong. It, it is kind of helpful. I understand the fans' frustration with Kenny Jacket, considering how he, he effectively caused the bad Coventry result, and the substitutions against Blackpool were terrible. So I understand why loads of fans are unhappy with him. But we need to focus on how Portsmouth are playing and what's the player, the scheme, and is the scheme is the scheme wrong and which players can fit the best in the scheme that Jacket is using. Maybe we can send him a little a little memo as well with all these things written down to to give him a, ha- a hand, or maybe can, <laughs> maybe they can employ us as a consultant or get you on the on the books, Freddie. But <laughs> they could do with it. They could do with some sports science. But let's have a look at. Back to the comments here because you guys have sent loads in and you know want to get through them. Uh, Matt Tarrant says, "What's Pompey's best back for?" As Kenny doesn't seem sure. Who do we drop in midfield out of close nailing McCrory? And on another note, has Pittman shot himself in the foot with that interview? Frustrated man, rightly so, but not going to help matters. So we'll look at the first one. What's Pompey's best back for, Freddie? Paul's best back for. <sighs> You do want to play Naylor because he's the captain. So what I would do then is play him in midfield. I would, If everybody was fit, I would have Bolton at right back and Lee Brown at left back. Lee Brown is potentially a bit more conservative option than Brendan Houndstrup at left back. But considering what Jacket wants to do, he wants the players to press tight and pass the ball out really quickly. I think Lee Brown could do really well at that. And then the centre-back partnership, which is the most important, I saw nothing wrong with Burgess and Downing in the Sunderland game and the Birmingham game that I watched. I, I think that could be, over time, a very underrated partnership. Yes, we've had... Portsmouth fans, have been, we've been really spoiled considering we've had Jack Watmore and Matt Clark, which is probably the best centre-back partnership I've seen since Distan and Campbell. <laughs> Burgess and Downing are probably nowhere near that, but it's definitely a solid centre-half partnership. You've got Burgess, who's the ball-playing defender, and you've got Paul Downing as the no-nonsense, solid centre-half that we need. So that is the back four that I would go for if you play Naylor, Close and McCrory in midfield in a 4-3-3. But if you don't want to do that, then one of the centre-halves will have to go. And I, it's a tough one. Do you want to take away the passing out from the back four by taking off Burgess and playing somewhere else? Or do you want to be slightly less solid and take away Downing and have Naylor at centre-back. Because Naylor at centre-back looks great. No, he's I played, thought so he, as well. He's played at centre-half. He's played at, great yeah. as well. Exactly. He's played at centre-half at championship level for Burton and they survived in the league for two seasons. So I wouldn't be worried with Tom Naylor at centre-half even though it looks weird. <laughs> I saw that a lot on Twitter where people saying, oh, he's playing players out of position. Yes, yeah, some, some of those things are weird. Walks playing at, at centre-midfield, I laughed at. It was a very odd. But Naylor at centre half is fine. Alongside think, either Burgess yeah. or Jowling, I would pick. I'm happy to see uh, Tom Naylor play at centre back if we feel that you know it allows McCrory close and potentially Cannon or whoever to play in the centre. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it just depends how that centre midfield gels, really. But yeah, precisely. I think I think that could do very well. On paper, it seems very defensive considering you have McCrory and McCrory and Naylor. But McCrory can pass the ball. At the moment, people just see him as the guy who got sent off in the first game and loves to tackle. But he's much more than that already. Well, in, yeah. In my... No, he is. He goes forward with the ball. He puts a good cross in, which some of the players seem to struggle a little bit with. And at QPR, I think he was the best player on the field. You know, He won he the ball back. Did, yeah. 
Yeah, he moves the ball forwards. He gets into dangerous positions, and sometimes Pompey can be a little bit passive with how direct they go. Um, unless you have, you've got a couple of players who haven't been, and I think that's got to be Ross McCrory and Marcus Harness. Precisely. It, it also takes the pressure off Tom Naylor to pass the ball forward as well, because in my opinion, that Tom Naylor isn't the best at doing longer passes forward. So if you have McCrory in close at centre midfield, you've just got Tom Naylor as the out ball that can make the simple pass to the fullback and focus on his defensive duty. So to give a recap, if you play that 4-3-3 with McCrory, Naylor and close as the three centre-backs, I would have Bolton at right-back, Brown or Houndstrup at left-back. I don't mind either with Burgess and Downing. But you do have to play Naylor if you, for example, you want Cannon to play midfield. You'd have to drop Naylor at centre-back and then make the tough decision. Pick your preferred centre-back if you want the ball playing centre-back or the regular centre-back as the other slot. I think that's up to Kenny to work out who works best. But I think personally, watching Tom Naylor at centre-back, he commanded the, the whole back line um, against QPR. I don't know if that's the same against Blackpool, but he was shouting, he moving did defend, players he, he over. He did do that for his back line. I, I didn't think Porter defended badly at all against Blackpool. It was mainly the fact that he weren't winning the 50-50 ball. Whether that's down to bad luck, whether that's down to pressing too much, we'll have to see that in future games. But in general, I didn't think the defence was the main issue in that game. Really. So what's the main issue? As um, I think it's Evs or Eves says, EVS um, messaged in and said, the difference is Matt Clark. Matt Clark's what was what wrong with it. Do you think that's fair? If we had Clark, it'd be a completely different situation. Well, probably. It was because last season he was our best player. Any team that loses their best player will have that little bit of a dip or because he, he drove play going forward as well, which is exceptionally rare for a centre-half. He drove play forward, which uh, which spread the other opposition, so other players could run in certain into pockets of space, and that is again one of the problems with Porto at the moment. Going forward, they either pick the wrong final ball or don't run into the right position and play very wrong dimensionally. So, yes, obviously Matt Clark is a massive reason why Porto aren't doing as well but as think- they could be. But, but I don't. I, I don't think it's yeah. the be-all and end-all. Really, I think there are other, other, other reasons why Portsmouth aren't playing as well. Yeah. So thanks for messaging in, uh, James Frowden. Long Actually, time on, on the Pittman thing, which um, yeah was the first comment which we ignored. I think we we touched on that already. I, I would like to see him play a couple of games at number ten, and obviously he is frustrated why he's not being picked. Was that the question? Do you want to bring that up again? Yeah, no, it was Matt Terrence. Sorry, mate, for the second part of his question. He said, has Pittman shot himself in the foot in that in, in the interview? Frustrated man, rightly so, but not sure it's going to help matters. Has he shot himself in the foot, Freddie? Well, well, effectively, Gareth, Gareth Evans complained to Kenny Jacket, and he started the next game. I, don't, uh, uh, I think both of them are such key figures in the squad that I don't think they'll be ostracised by any manner of means. And Jacket's even though we see Jacket as stubborn in one in one way or another, he is he does listen to his players. He apologised to Gareth Evans after the substitution, which could be seen as the admission of guilt in that regard. So I don't think Pittman's shot himself in the foot, the foot at all. I think that's a good thing that he's showing the desire to get back into the team again when he's been benched. So. No, I agree. I don't. I don't think it's going to cause. It's only if it if this sort of treatment carries on, isn't it? Game to game, etc. Yeah, precisely. That, well, that's well, where the resentment happens. Exactly. Really, isn't and it? if the team keeps losing, in my opinion, if the results still aren't there and Pittman's still on the bench, then potentially it could be an issue. But I, I like the. I like his determination. I don't think he shot himself in the foot at all. No, I agree. So. um James Frowden, as I said, long-time listener to the show, said that I honestly believe it's so close to clicking. We'll go on a on a win. My talking mate, we'll go on a winning run. I'm convinced a bit. Well, we've been saying that. Do you think we'll turn it around quickly, like James does? Well, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. When we have all our options there, I think that front three can work really well because on paper it looks like a stronger team than last season, doesn't it? If you look at yeah, no, I think it does. So I, I think it can, it, it can and should click eventually. It just depends on luck and whether the fans' patience runs out eventually, depending on if they want Jacket to stay as the manager or not. But really, in effect, 
with Marcus playing up front, we're, we're, we are less one-dimensional than we were last season. We're, we're, we are picking out different sorts of passes and there's, di- and there's different ways of building up the play as well. It's just that sometimes that key, uh, key final ball isn't there. Or, for example, there was a situation in the Blackpool game. I might have mentioned this already. Where Curtis should have put in that low through ball to Marquis to run onto. Yeah. After a couple more games, Curtis probably uh, probably figure out. Oh, Marquis likes that sort of ball. I'll I'll do that instead of taking it on my stronger foot and having a shot, which is less likely to create a goal scoring chance. So I think it. Ca- uh, I've seen enough good periods of play in all of the in a lot of the games to see that it can click. But we just, as everybody hopes. It clicks sooner rather than later, considering the expectations we have. Yeah, no, I agree. And we've answered this question already, Freddie. But I'm going to go into it. Kelvin B. Adams says, "How many games in reality do you think Kenny has left? Do you think the season?" Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's the, 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 those. Uh, if you, I'm if you saying at, at least. Christmas, if you look at mate. the Eisners, they don't seem to be the sort of people to, to give knee-jerk decisions, do they? No. Really. No. I'll so, say Christmas I, 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 if it's dreadful. It, it, Christmas if it's absolutely appalling otherwise it's the end of the season and then they'll reevaluate everything yeah no mm-hmm. agreement right moving on quickly we've got Lil Nug who says I think our system was worked out from the end of last season and by now we should be trying to change it we've got four quality strikers at the club why not play two of them Pittman and Marquez would be lethal likewise close and Naylor McCrory need more feet freedom in midfield so first bit, two up top, I worry about that a little bit because I don't think that we've, we've seen it before and it hasn't really worked for us, has it? I'd, I, 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 I do fear that if we play two up top, we will lose, we will lose a lot in midfield. Because if you remember the first season under Jacket where he tried 4-4-2 so many times, he tried Pittman with Chaplin and a lot of other uh, other players. But it's just that we, even, we were even one-dimensional then. The, the entire game plan was sit deep, on the counter-attack, direct ball to Brett Pittman, who can either lay it off to Jamal Lowe or somebody. So so we were even one-dimensional then, even with some people's preferred formations. Considering how bad we are at gaining the 50-50 ball at the moment and gaining the ball back and retaining possession, two up top, I don't think two up top would work. For yeah. me, anyway, and with the certain players. And for example, Pitt, uh, I don't class Pittman as a striker. He said it himself in an interview that he prefers to play number 10 anyway. So we've got three strikers. We've got John Marquis and Ellis Harrison, and now seemingly the odd one out, which is Oliver Hawkins. Yeah. So. And the, and again, um, Lil's point that moves on to say that you need the likes of um, McCrory, uh, Close, Naylor, etc. to have more freedom in midfield. But if you play two strikers up top, you're limiting that freedom, aren't you, that you're giving those players? Oh, precisely. Naturally, the centre midfielders will have to tuck it a bit deeper. So, yeah. All right, so so play, play, playing one up front in that 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 should give more freedom to certain centre, certain centre midfielders. Because I can see what he means. Because Portsmouth have, haven't been the most effective at breaking out uh, with breakout passes and key passes and that sort of thing. And we do seem to sometimes in that last bit against Blackpool in the last 10 minutes where we revived a little bit, the entire plan was sit deep and spray a ball out wide and ignore the middle of the midfield. (laughs) Yeah, no. So yeah, it can get one dimensional in that regard, but I think that's not down to the formation. I I, I think really, if we play the three midfield of McCrory, Close and Naylor, Naylor can sit deep and then McCrory and Close have the entire freedom. They can be the two out balls to play any sort of pass to the front three that they want. On paper, it shouldn't be one-dimensional at all. But we'll just have to see how it goes in the next five five or ten games or so. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, I don't want to see us be playing 4-4-2. I just don't think we'll get on the board enough. And we've got some great attacking midfielders that I, I want to play in this team, not mm. two strikers as such, which I think is a little bit of an outdated formation personally, but each to their own, mate. It um, is a way of thinking where you immediately think, oh, we're not... Because there are instances where John Marcus is isolated and not getting the chance, enough chances that he should do. And it is natural to think, oh, if he had a strike partnership to take away all that pressure, it could work. But I think for the players, I think a one striker formation helps. 
but a 4-3-3 three, three turns into three strikers if you go really attacking. So I think 4-3-3 three, three or 4-2-3-1 three, does work best with this team. It's just... <laughs> I think the, the, the main thing will be the sorts of passes that a midfield are making and the variety of passing. I think Marcus Harness helped with that really well in the first half against Blackpool. Yeah. And, you know, Marcus isn't out long term either, is he? So, you know, we've still got that, um, you know, Marcus to return to the team and hopefully he returns with the same impetus he's having in the team at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, just moving on, we've got Jazz Parvin. He says, here's my thinking. If we get rid of Kenny, a new manager, will want his own team. So, he'll be, so he will be backed in the transfer market in January, right? I think Kenny's gone as far as he can. My opinion, I feel he should play Pittman again. Up. Um, also, he's looking for a manager. He wants to go with Chris Hewton. Well, I'm going to say <laughs> that. I don't think there's any chance of getting Chris Hewton down to Pompey at all. Well, um, to not be, to, to, not be de- to try not to be derogatory, there is no chance in hell that Hewton's going to be a manager at Portsmouth in the third division. There no. is no chance of that whatsoever. The, in an interview... Michael Eisner, in the recent Michael Eisner video, he, he said it himself. He doesn't like changing employees he trusts because they want to change everything, which is precisely why Kenny Jackett will at least get to the end of the season unless something utterly absurd happens. Uh, what was the bit in the middle about that question? I missed that. Cool. That's pretty because I'm a bit coldy. He basically said um, he'll want his own... He want, he, basically, he, the new manager will be able to bring in players in January. Uh, I think we've got a good enough squad as is, even if we do change the manager. I don't, there's no glare. Is there a glaring omission from that team that you can see? Not really. Uh, no. Because even if, at number 10, we got Pitt, Pittman and Andy Cannon. I would have liked Lewis Dennis as well. I'm still going um, to, that, that's a hill I'm going to die on. I wish he was still with this team. Well, when he does a Matt but, Riching and then storms the leagues for us. Oh, precisely. Someone else. Well, well, he will do. He's playing really well for Leighton Orient, and that was obvious to many people. But, at the moment, there's not a glaring omission in that team that makes me think, oh, we're missing that. Maybe if you want to change the style of play a bit, maybe you want slightly more attacking fullbacks than we have, because Bolton and Brown are solid fullbacks and are not bad fullbacks by any means. But if you want to go slightly more attacking, you want different sort of fullbacks compared to that. But with the with the midfield three we have and the front three and the depth options we have, I don't see why we'd need a lot more players. I was happy that we didn't make a need decision in January, in deadline day, sorry, and get somebody else in on loan. I no, think the team should be fine. It's about <laughs> deployment and player performance, essentially. No, I agree, mate. So, we just need to get you getting to utilise the players we've got, don't we? Rather than sort of trying to chop and change, adding more people that need more time to gel, etc. Yeah, I think pre- we... Yeah, so. Precisely. You listen to any any other national podcast or sports writers, they had us as you know the number one team to be to win the league. You know, based <laughs> on the squad depth we had, though. Mm. So, I don't think adding players is what's needed now. It's just letting them gel and yeah, well, knowing, well, knowing the right way to play. The person's comment was, "If Jacket would be sat by Christmas, would a new manager be be given investment? But he won't. Jacket won't be sat by Christmas. So, no. yeah." We'll do one more because I'm a little bit dying down here, mate. Um, <laughs> if I'm honest, hopefully it's not been too bad for people to listen to. Um, Finley says quickly, we're a very top-heavy side. We don't seem to play into their strengths. He's pro-jacket, but it's upsetting to see Marquez not being used as successfully as a Doncaster with a player up with him to play through. Then Brett's on the bench. Could he fix it? Just to start off, I don't think Doncaster played him with anyone else up front, did they? They no, played I him as a low striker. Yeah, I thought they played as a 4 3 3. But what he's getting at is the type of service that Marquis is getting. And we've pretty much touched on that already. He's not getting the service that he is at Doncaster at the moment. He is playing really well on half of the chances that he's getting for Doncaster. Those counter attacking, those counter attacking low through balls low crosses so uh, uh, he can he can score headers we see we've seen him do it for doncaster before but at the moment the service isn't there which it which is frustrating when a striker you've played nearly two million pounds for who's got a proven track record has only got two goals so far when so when for example Armand Gwanduye has already got four i think the top sc- top scorer is marcus madison with five already that sounds right to me yeah yeah so 
it is frustrating that Marquez isn't getting the service that he, that he has at the moment. I think Pittman can certainly help if they do decide to play him at number 10. Because although Andy Cannon, I think, has played really well, there hasn't been many situa- situations from him where he's put in that killer through ball to the striker, which I think Pittman will be able to do. Yeah, I agree. It just depends on what formation Jacket wants to play, really. And he's running out of time, in my opinion, to work that out. Just not in time of him being fired, but in time of the success of the season and what this team's ultimately going to achieve. Precisely. Yeah, he, he has to get everything sorted quickly, and that and that is that is the crux of it, essentially. Sorry to everyone who I haven't quite got to. I think there's two or three people who posted last two I didn't quite manage to get to at the end of the podcast, but I don't know if you can hear, mate, but I'm slightly dying, sweating here. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look them up on Twitter and I'll, I'll reply to them afterwards. Thanks, I'll, mate. I'll, I'll do that for you. I'm so. going to be off. I'm going to be off to bed in a minute. But I'll just before I uh, I forget that again, um, yeah, guys. As I said, we've got a competition to give away two tickets for the Caribou Cup clash at Fratton Park against Southampton. Um, please retweet the tweet. Follow us at PO Forecast at Pompey News Now and at Caribou underscore Cup for a chance to win the two tickets. Terms and conditions apply. Freddie. It has been great as always having you on the podcast, mate. And I hope people go and check out your article, which I will be sharing everywhere. It's been lovely. You can follow me on Twitter at freds.w or you can uh, follow Frat and Faithful on Facebook as well. I sometimes post on there as Same well. Here. Same here, mate. And everyone go and follow Frat and Faithful on Facebook. Um, all right. Cheers, Freddie. And until next time, guys, play up on You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!